back to Women Making Moves, where we celebrate the moves that women are making. My name is Amy Pons. I'm a master certified life coach and an energy healer. I'm joined today with Lan Fan. Lan is a renowned author, master trainer, and speaker, is celebrated for expertise in purpose-driven leadership, mindset cultivation, and continuous personal and professional improvement. Her book, Do This Daily, Secrets to Finding Success, Happiness, and Purpose at Work and Life, will be published in April 2024. As a highly regarded consultant, she provides invaluable insight and strategic advice to CEOs, top executives, and businesses, navigating them through dynamic realms of business and innovation. Her influential digital presence, especially on LinkedIn and YouTube, garners tens of millions of views annually, marking her a pivotal figure for leaders seeking inspiration and actionable guidance. Lan graduated with honors in psychology from Stanford University, earning the esteemed J.E. Wallace Sterling Award for her significant impact on the university through leadership and volunteerism. She also obtained a master's in teaching and curriculum from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Lan, welcome. Hello. So excited to be here, Amy. (laughs) I am too. It's, It's so fascinating how so many of us are on each other's peripherals. (laughs) energy attracts energy yes that's what I always say it's like we're out here just trying to find each other and (laughs) once we do it's this beautiful way forward on how we're trying to not trying we are building the impact and change we want to see for the future generations so can't wait to chat with you we were already getting into some fun things before we hit record so the thing I love most before we even met officially was that we have kindred hair styles in terms of our um, (laughs) No longer coloring our hair and um, embracing the gray or mine's white. (laughs) That started for you over pandemic, you said? Yeah, it was like the beginning of the pandemic. And (laughs) it's a funny story. I had my husband cut my hair and that was like bad idea. So my hair was all like kind of choppy. But I had gotten gray hair early on, like probably in my 20s. So I was consistently dying, but my hair grew really quick. And so I would be at the salon every two weeks and you know, for an hour, two hours at a time. And during the pandemic, I was like, "Ah, I'm done. Well, I mean, I'm done because I couldn't go to the salon. But I think growing out the grays partially was like, you know what, what if I just let it keep on going? So I ended up cutting all of my hair, had a really short, bad haircut. If you watch some of my early micro learnings for community of seven and let's talks, my hair is like literally chopped up. Um, it was a combination of me cutting my hair, my, my husband and my daughter, who was like five or six at the time. So it was probably the worst haircut you could imagine. But then I think as it grew out, I just felt more myself, if that makes sense. And that's not to discount anyone who colors their hair because I've colored my hair for years and there's no issue with that. For me personally, though, growing my hair was also kind of symbolic of me leaving my old self, the one that kind of contorted and basically tried to become what other people wanted for me and just really accepting me of who I am. I had actually posted something on uh, LinkedIn about, you know, I think it was two years ago or so. It was my birthday and I talked about growing out my gray hair and that before it was shame about me growing older. And now it represents, you know, my mother who's also aging, she's in her 80s now, and her wisdom and all of the pain and struggle I've gone through. So I've earned every thread of gray in my head. (laughs) First of all, I love that it was a group activity over COVID to cut your hair. 
That's yeah. awesome. And that's exactly it. And it, I have a similar story, which, in you know, pandemic was such a record scratch moment for all of us in so yeah. many different ways. And for me, it disrupted the autopilot that I'd been on. And it really thrust me into my awakening, my soul spirit awakening and understanding like, whoa, I'm on autopilot and I have no idea who Amy at the core is like, let's find out. And so I, I too let go of the the coloring of my hair, but mine grows fast too, that you'll, you'll laugh at this. There was one moment in time, I don't know, five or six years ago where I said, I want to dye my hair like fire engine red. And my stylist was like, yes, and we're, we're going to have to bleach it completely to be able to get it red. Yeah. And I, I had it like that for a year or two. Lynn, I had to go in every two weeks to get it touched up. That was how fast yeah. it was growing. And the red was fading so quickly. It was just like, wow, that was the maintenance that I was not used to. So, anyway. yeah. And, I, you know, I think we talked about this before I got on and it's this whole notion of society. Capitalism depends on us feeling bad about ourselves so that we dye our hairs, we spend more money, we buy things we don't need. And part of letting go of like these stories is really about taking back your life that you don't need to buy more things. You don't need someone to come and save you in order to be happy. Everything you need is already inside of you. That's exactly right. That lights me up. We all have magic inside of us. It's just understanding how to to get to it, to access it. Yeah. But you know what? And I think that was the power of the pause. Mm -hmm. So during COVID, I think a lot of people, that was the first time they really got to pause and ask these important questions. And in my book, Do This Daily, the number one thing is answering this question, what matters most to you? And so many of, of us live our lives on autopilot. You know, during the pandemic, it was the first time I was able to breathe, right? And it was scary yeah. as F, <laughs> I won't use the body word, but yeah. it was scary, you know, because prior in the corporate world, you know, at that time I was at Fortune magazine on the executive team and I was in back to back to back meetings. I literally would wake up six in the morning because we had, you know, a Japan office, an office in Europe as well. And so I'd be up sometimes six, five in the morning and I would be in meetings. This is not even work in meetings till six or seven. And then when six or seven happened, then I had to work, like do actual replied emails work. And when are you able to really pause and focus on yourself? And I realized that I had spent decades in corporate America, focusing on my work, chasing titles and pay and all of these different things. And then hopefully building my life around work. What inevitably happened is that work would consume my entire life. And there was nothing left for my family, for my loved ones. And I challenged people to ask this question, what matters most to you? Most of the time, it's not work. It's not the report you're doing. What matters most is your family, your friends, your loved ones. Yet we, how much time do we actually devote in the day? Because we spend about... 11 years of our lives at work, mm. majority of our time, adult life at work. And, you know, unless we're intentional about it, I always say that intentionality is like the address in a GPS. If you don't have an address, that GPS is worthless. And you might get to where you want to get by accident, but you're going to have a lot of U-turns. You're going to go the wrong way. You might fall off a cliff. So when you're intentional and when you're able to answer that question, what matters most 
you're better able to get to where you need to get. Yeah, the way that lands for me, I like that question. And a lot of times I will, a lot of the women that I serve, I'll ask, what's your why? Or how's your heart? I try to get into the the real depths. I really resonate with what you were saying as well, because my corporate career was all about titles and money. And it was interesting because every time I got that new title and raise and bonus and things like that, it was always then what? You know, yeah. Well, you, like, you keep on moving the finish line farther and farther, it was, it and you almost, never celebrate. No, it was almost anticlimactic. It was for me. What I came to realize was that, and a big part of my work today is I am a divine feminine catalyst. And what I realized about what I had been living and what I'm seeing in a lot of society today is that we're so skewed in the masculine has become toxic. So we're we're operating in the toxic masculinity. And some of that aching or that need or like remembering what matters to you is the kind of the doorbell of the divine feminine saying like, hey, remember over here, it's like the the feeling, flowing, trusting, believing. And that doesn't mean that we don't need the masculine. We absolutely do. We need them to be in harmonious balance together so that we can feel full of trust and believe and make an aligned action. And again, that balance and what we had been taught our entire lives is to, and I'll speak for myself, you go to school, you get a job, you keep climbing ladders because that's quote unquote, what matters. Whereas <laughs> what that looked like for me when I turned 40, I had the big title, I had the money, and I was a complete shell of myself. What it had come to look like as I was numbing with alcohol so hard just to get through my work week. And again, I had a high octane job. I had to show up every day, but I was so dependent on being able to numb when I got home and then be able to rinse and repeat the next day. And you're not alone because there's so many people are chasing happiness or trying to numb the pain and it's the same thing with capitalism and what makes us buy these companies in some ways need us to feel bad about ourselves in order for us to stay and that's not all companies because I've been at some companies that have been great but especially the ones that are toxic right it depends on us feeling fear that we're not good enough that if we leave we're not going to be able to find anything better. And I've, I've had bosses tell me, you're lucky, you're lucky to have this job. You're not going to find anything like this. We took a chance on you. And I've had a-hole bosses say that to me. And the problem is I started believing it. And how many of us start believing it? And you know, you look at kids, they think they can do anything. They could conquer the world. And I always say there's two phases where people are the most confident. It's when they're kids, like very, really young, and the world hasn't gotten to them. The other part is when you're older and you just don't give a F anymore about what people think of you, um, societal norms. You know, I'm going to wear my pants all the way up to my chest if I need to, and I don't care what you think, right? Like I think of like my my grandmother's, my mother-in-law, who's like 75 now. And, you know, they're just happy because they they really have let go of the need for approval. Yeah, they don't need you to like them. Right. And I think that those are the bookends. And in the middle somewhere, because of what parents tell us, what our Mm -hmm. teachers tell us, I've had bosses tell me stay in your lane, you're not good enough, you can't write, you can't read, you're not a natural leader. I now do public speaking for a living. I write every day, I have over half a million people following my work on social media. I'm a leadership development expert. 
And these are the same people who told me that I wasn't any of these things. We have to kind of let go of what we're not and what people have told us. And it's in a lot of ways, and I think you mentioned this, a rebirth, right? We have to find what we already know inside, but that the world has kind of burned away. And we have to kind of light that fire again. Part of my journey has been remembering what it felt like to live on the soul plane, where there is no approval, no a judgment, there's no ego. It's like everything is so just love and light. Yeah. And what's interesting about what you say about like kids and older people, they're the closest on both ends to the soul plane. So it's interesting that they just came from there or they're about to go there, depending on what you believe in, in source, creator, God, universe, whatever. Yeah. It's like you're closest to those veils. And, and the other thing is, Depending on where you are in the world, but in the US, like, and you touched on this, I believe that we got here, especially over the past 100 years or so, 200, 300 years, white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism. And it's all about this copy paste notion that there's only one way based on one type of person to relate to another one type of person. And then everything else outside of that isn't good enough. That's what I feel like it's created. And the other thing that I, that strikes me is when you talk about capitalism, <laughs> I went through a time in 2023 that I refused to remove anybody here because I had learned that the whole reason that women remove hair in the first place started in the 20s when the men went off to war and the razor companies were losing money because they weren't buying razors. So then literally there were ads put out in worldwide publications of like, you will not be loved if you have hair on your body. You will not <laughs> That's find interesting. I've never heard of that story. <laughs> oh, and I did some digging. I actually, I actually found these ads that said this to these women in the twenties. And so it was like, you won't be loved. You won't find a partner. You're ugly. If you have hair, that's the whole reason why women began. I was in advertising and marketing for over 20 years. And if you break down marketing and advertising, it's propaganda right? Yeah. So how do you get people to buy things that you don't want to do? And you usually get people to buy what they don't really need based on fear, based on love, and be all of the various strong emotions, right? And so I think it's important for us as consumers, and also even us as who are in business or entrepreneurs or whatnot, to understand that these are the levers we take to motivate people to do things, but we can't drink the Kool-Aid in a lot of ways, right? And we also have to be able to harness that knowledge into good. And I think in the past, we've been using it to just sell more things. And I think the next era of the world in terms of moving forward is to get people to kind of move forward in a positive way. I always think about there's a, a book, not Socrates, the Socrates from Greek mythology, but there's a book and there's a character named Socrates. And in that, he says, the secret of change is to focus all of your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new. And that's been my philosophy. Like, I think we have so many people who are just fighting the patriarchy. Why don't you just rebuild it? Build your own table, build your own company. Or if you're working in a corporate setting, build an ERG group, hire the right people. If you are in a position of power within a corporation, let go of the toxic leaders. Mm -hmm. Bring in people who are going to mobilize and bring people together. And so instead of fighting the old, build the new. I like to say that I rally everybody together to say, 
we can acknowledge how we got here, but we won't dwell on that. It's like, okay, we understand the current state of affairs. Let's be the change we want to create to your point. And let's create that balance of the energies of of masculine feminine to create the balance we've never seen in our lifetime. And as a coach, when I talk to people who they're like, I don't know why I might need a coach, but I feel drawn to you. I was like, cool, let's have a chat. First of all, nothing's wrong with you. You're not broken. You don't need fix. First of all, right. Because it's never from a fear place. It's that you're wanting to rediscover the magic, you know, inside of you and our egos will stop that work from happening because of all of the ways that we've been conditioned our entire lives. So it takes an ally or someone to walk alongside you. That's in your corner to say, here's this thread I heard you just say, let's pull on that and let's see where it goes. And that's part of the magic in the making. I like what you said. It's not from a fear place. We create a safe space in this container where nothing has to change, but let's explore for a little bit, see what that looks like. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I always go back to Gandhi's quote, be the change you want to see in the world. And the only thing we really can change is ourselves. But once we change ourselves, it enables the folks who are around us to change as well, especially when you're in a leadership position. I always speak to leaders because I think you have the ability to impact so many different people, right? With your influence is to empower others to be change makers as well. And that's how you change the heart and soul of any company or culture or family or community. It's one person at a time. Yeah. Fortunately, I got into a place with my corporate career that all those amazing things that you were saying, like I was doing all those things. I was the leader of my ERG. I was, I was in charge of hiring the teams. I was doing all those things. And then there was still that overarching toxicity that would tell me every day, your efforts are worthless. You're worthless. We don't want your kind here. I was told that. So it's such a both. And it's like, absolutely stay and invite the change that you want to see. And then also taking note of when it's to the point where it's deteriorating your mental, your mental health and your well-being. your point, that's when we create, we blaze our own trails. Yeah. And I think it's dependent on a person in the situation, right? I was just doing a keynote to 168 employees at MMC. It's a great agency in the Omnicom group. And there was such a powerful moment after I had spoken, they were kind of going over their different kind of work policies or whatnot. They're such a progressive company. And one of them is that their hours are like, I think nine to four, and then they consider commute times, et cetera. So HR was kind of doing this presentation about the hours. And there was this one period where you have to allow for commute time. If it's 9 a.m., don't schedule any 9 to 10 a.m. meetings because people might be commuting. And the CEO actually stood up. And this is a very HR-related question, right? A CEO normally wouldn't chime in about this. The CEO, Olga, stands up and she says, I'm speaking to everyone in here. If you have to commute within this time, don't schedule meetings during this time because you have to be respectful of the people who are commuting. And if you, and I'm talking to everyone in this room, if your manager is pushing back on you, you come to me. She was speaking to the whole entire company. But that is leadership from the very top that trickles down. You know, I've had managers who might counter whatever the company policy is because it's my way or the highway. But she basically said, if you have a problem as the CEO of this company, you come to me. 
there was an automatic sense of they walked yeah. the talk, right? And I think we as leaders have to walk the talk and have those uncomfortable situations, take leadership in those experiences. Because a lot of times, even though a CEO and a company might have these values, they don't trickle down to the rest of the company because it's really the middle managers who are implementing these rules. And a lot of times these middle managers have basically kind of been brought up in a different culture where it's more command and control and, you know, you ruled by fear. So no matter how high your ideal is, your values are, or how you want to lead the company, if the middle managers are kind of in charge of the entire organization, it's going to impact the entire culture of the company. One bad egg can basically ruin the whole company, right? And it's really important for you to weed out the toxic players within a company. Otherwise, it's going to impact everyone. Absolutely. Oh, I could go on all day about toxic workplace based on a lot of the work that I do with um, yeah. the Psychological Safety Act. But I want to get into some of the moves that you're making. And you already touched on your book. Tell me more about your book and other moves are you excited to be making right now, Lynn? Yeah. So probably one of my biggest one is that I have my book, Do This Daily. It's a test copy. So there's a mark in the middle. Uh, <laughs> it's coming out April 2nd. And it's actually the four-year anniversary of when I got laid off at Fortune Magazine and for those who might not know my story, I had I had basically been given a high position on the executive team at Fortune magazine. I was given a multi-million dollar budget to build this company from scratch within Fortune. And then the pandemic happened. I was supposed to hire a team of 100, but I had gotten to number five when I learned that I got laid off and I had to lay off my entire team. Some of them had left jobs a week prior to come work for me. So I basically fell into this deep depression. And during that period is when I had that aha moment. I really don't know who I am outside of this job and my title and my company and my pay. And so I had to really revisit all of that. And I started asking those important questions, what matters most to me? And more importantly, how do I live it? And so the first iteration of my company, Community of Seven, I was kind of focusing more on like creating masterminds and different communities with CEOs and executives from Fortune 100 brands. And then I realized that I had a, a broader purpose, and that was to kind of help more people. And so I actually took the difficult road of like kind of repurposing my company and focusing 95% of my time on free content. So I started these micro learnings on Let's Talks on LinkedIn Live and all of these different live streams and created a YouTube channel where I could do free content. Because one of the things I realized was that I loved helping these leaders. But the question I had was, I'm basically helping successful people become more successful. How do I kind of help more people? Because I think that was one of my missions. You know, I realized my core values were my family, my friends, my faith, being of service to others and freedom. And none of the jobs I had in the past fulfilled any of them. So instead of building my career and building my life around it, I built the life I wanted to live, my values. And then my career was now built around that. And so it's changed everything in terms of how I grew Community of Seven. And like I said, I focused 95% of my time on free content to help people. And so my YouTube channel just got like a, a million views in terms of some of my content. And I kind of built my LinkedIn profile where I kind of post daily different thoughts, different motivations for people. 
And my goal is really the big pivot is how do I train over a million servant leaders so that we can change the whole culture of corporate America or not just corporate America, corporations worldwide. So that's been kind of the major shift. And I think this book, Do This Daily, is the next iteration of like, how do I help people on scale in mass? One of that pivot that I had, I don't do one-on-one coaching like you. I do group coaching. The traditional model of training was you would train a group of 30, 40 people in a room for six hours. And so I changed it and I have different corporate clients where I will literally train their entire company or 300, 400 people on a call. And we focus on different concepts that are important for that company. How do you get people to to swim in the same direction? How do you deal with adversity? How do you build resiliency? Because the power when you get, let's say, a whole startup or a whole division of a company to believe in one thing is that you have that shared vocabulary. And that's how you start changing the entire ecosystem of the company. Speaking of your LinkedIn platform, I want to go to a post that you made recently that really resonated with me. You're pretty amazing. Yes, I'm looking at you. This doesn't mean it's okay to be arrogant, but never forget the value you bring to the world, even if others cannot see it. Your value does not decrease because your boss doesn't recognize you. Your value does not decrease because you haven't found love yet. Your value does not decrease because your life isn't where it should be. Queens and kings, straighten your crown. If we are made in God's image, we have intrinsic value that cannot diminish. The fact that you are here means you are chosen. Read that again. Internalize it. Move through the world like you matter and be kind to those around you. And never forget that you were powerfully made. Stay humble. Stay kind. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) I love this so much because it really resonates with me. And what we've been talking about a lot is that everything starts within you. We do have a unique brilliance, unique purpose, and oftentimes based on whether it be ancestral trauma or the way that we were brought up or early teachings, conditionings, we don't remember that unique brilliance. So I love how you talk about in this post, it does all start with us first and it's not arrogance. It's like remembering who you are at the core. So tell me more about this post and what motivated you. It's funny, when I first started posting, literally, it would be my brother liking it and (laughs) a friend here and there. And in the beginning, I really was just posting for myself because I needed those reminders, right? That I was enough, that I was good enough, that I had value. And remember, I had just gotten laid off. So there was a lot of trauma in terms of like, I had never gotten laid off before. And it was one of those feelings of like, who am I, right? And I think sometimes we just need to be reminded that we are more than our jobs. Mm -hmm. We are more than what we do. We are more than what we have in our bank account. And when you are coming from a a place of value and self-worth, that's when you're able to really be able to achieve the things that you want to do. You can't grow from a state of, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve this. Even me saying that right now makes me feel horrible, right? So when you change your mind frame, and that's the second part of my book, is change your mindset creates your destiny. And I firmly believe that our mindset is writing our story. And part of life is, in the you so eloquently said, 
we have these beliefs that we can, and then we start rewriting our story because other people have told us that we're not good enough, that you can't do it. What are you thinking? And so you start rewriting the story. And what I try to impart in the people who read my post is that you are enough. You can do this. And to really reclaim their power, that they are the authors of their story. And if you don't like the way your story is going, then rewrite it, add a chapter, change the whole book if you need to. But the whole thing is you have the power to rewrite the story. And too many of us are okay being the sidekick. And you got main character energy. You're the author. Rewrite your story. You are the protagonist. And as such, when you're able to reclaim your story, you're able to reclaim your life and start writing a new path, a new chapter forward. Knowing that people like you and I come from a place of light and love and not dwelling in the past or the negativity or how we're here and we move forward with positivity and trusting ourselves. Have you met those people in charge? I won't I won't call them leaders. The people that are in charge that do have limiting mindsets and are cultivating a toxic environment. And what does that conversation look like with them? Do you try to enlighten them or do you wish them well and be on your way? I think one of the most important lessons I've had to learn is to be able to choose my battles. And we see this all the time just on social media and online where, you know, you might write a post that's uh, from a positive space, but you get someone who completely misconstrues it and then, you know, adds a sprinkle of toxic <laughs> toxic culture in your feed. And and sometimes that happens in real life, right? If if I'm if I meet a leader and they're obviously toxic, you're not going to be able to change them from one conversation. There has to be prolonged communications, working with their teams, all this other stuff for you to really make impact or change with your presence. But what you can do is elevate as many people as you can. Like I'm on a mission to elevate servant leaders. I'm on a mission to elevate the introverts in the world, the empaths, the givers in the world. Because when you focus on them, I, I don't really focus on the toxic leaders. I focus on elevating the right type of leaders. And when you're able to elevate the right type of leaders, that's how you change company cultures to kind of be able to promote the fact that psychological safety, promoting the right types of leaders who are the servant leaders, the ones who come from a growth mindset, it starts changing and impacting the entire organization because it's really difficult. And I've worked with many to change someone who has been in this mindset for over 50, 60, 70 years. And that's not to say that change can't happen because we changed in our our 40s and our, you know, I'm closer to 50 now, but it was my decision. And it took a lot of soul searching and reflection. You can't change someone in one conversation. You just can't. Mm -mm. And what's interesting is right after I left corporate and I became a certified coach, I I started going head to head 
with toxic leaders. And what's interesting is that I went in with these amazing intentions and I said, I'm going to hold my light. I'm going to hold my, my vibration as high as possible and I'll plant a seed. Did that work? (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) I will say, I will say that it changed by like a fraction of a percentage, like a degree. Like I maybe planted like a fraction of the impact that it had on your mental health. You're right. So what I ended up realizing is that while it's like a yes, and of course, yes, I was able to plant a fraction of a seed and the amount of my energy that was expended. And in some cases, to your point, like re-triggering my corporate trauma, I was like, all right, let me go to the masses that can hear me. Um, Let me talk to the people that I can. um, There's only so much change that you can muster if you're not the CEO or the like a top executive within an organization, but you can maybe change the culture around you, right? And you can empower certain people. So I would do the same thing in my corporate career where I would be the one kind of fighting for the underdog. Like there's a toxic leader. He says something snarky to someone who's more junior. I would be the one toe to toe, but it takes so much energy. And at the end of the day, that person doesn't change. That person has to be, let's say the chief technology officer, let go by the CEO Mm -hmm. or, you know, you go to the board of directors, but we in corporate America, I think, get beaten down so much. And the only way you can make change, and I'm speaking to the people, because I get this all the time, who might have a a toxic manager that they're working with, but they love the company they're working at. If you don't want to leave the company, try to see if you can take a lateral move or learn a new skill set and work for another manager. Because 95% of your peace and happiness at any company is who you report into. And if you're working for a company, you're reporting into the CEO and it's a toxic leader and they're not going to go anywhere. You don't have many options. You're exactly right. And that's what I will share when people that I do serve come to me and we work together from a coaching perspective, I will assess, are we in that place where it's like an emergency or receiving a lot of abuse and trauma? We need to do like a quick exit plan. We work on that first, or it's exactly what you just said. It's do you want to stay, but not in this particular role or with this person? Let's navigate that out. Or it's a manager is fine. Work is fine, but it's something about the boundaries. Like I love what you're talking about with the company that you talked to about the nine to four and being protective. It's setting those boundaries in place. It's, it's back to the individual. It's like, where are you at? And what are you not only willing to tolerate, but also where are you at on the change, like implementing change as well? And how impactful do you feel that you're being all of those together? And that's why coaching is not linear. We show up each week and we're like, okay, what's on the docket today? And it's yeah. like, what comes up for that person? It's different based on the person and what you know, <laughs> the, your power as a CEO is different than your power as an individual contributor, right? right. right. You can still be a leader within an organization with no title, being right. an EA, like some of the best leaders I've in organizations that really made, brought a company together were the EAs of the CEOs. I always see these advice from these thought leaders on LinkedIn and all this other stuff. And they're just like, leave your toxic situation. If you have children to support, if you have a mortgage to pay, you can't leave a toxic situation right away. Make sure you have things lined up. You know, I always say jump in the net will appear, but also be logical. I work a lot when I do coaching in terms of group coaching, this whole notion of like the whole Japanese ikigai, right? What is your reason for being? 
And what I love about the four different quadrants that they have is that it's based on what your skill sets are, but also what the world needs. So the four kind of concentric circles, number one is what, what do you love doing? What are you good at? What the world needs, but what you can get paid for. So the ikigai or the where every t- uh, touch points meet is what you're looking for. Because if I love singing, but no one will pay me, I can't make that a livelihood. I won't have a home. I won't be able to feed my daughter, right? So you do need to find something that where it intersects all four. Because I also could have a job that pays me really well, but I'm in a toxic culture and my health is being impacted. That's not real happiness. Mm-hmm. So I think we are in this this journey to try to figure out, because not everyone is entrepreneur. Not everyone can start their own company. So if you have to work for a company, how can I find that where everything intersects, where I'm talented at what I do, I love what I'm doing, that I work with people I enjoy, and that I could get paid for for my services. And I think that is a journey that we're trying to find because I'm not this jump and everything is going to kind of fall into place because it's not it's hard being an entrepreneur to make your own path. And so think wisely. Every choice is unique for every individual. Some people are going to be really good at jumping and starting their own business. But for some people, it's to stay in the nine to five, but to find teams that you enjoy working with, projects that light a passion in you. And if your job is just a job, maybe you do what Amy did and form an ERG group and empower the the other folks within that company. Or maybe you get your coaching license and you do something on the side with different customers until you can kind of make that a full-time gig. I think it's important to be realistic. It's important to be passionate, but it's also important to be pragmatic. Yeah. It gets to be all, I, I, I joke and it's not really funny, but it's like, until we can get to the point where we can barter everything, we do need currency, you know, and figuring that out. So to your point, it's, it's going back to the person's unique brilliance what I call their uh, non-negotiables. What are your non-negotiables in life and what are you working toward? And we build a bridge toward that so that there doesn't have to be an emergent, you know, immediate kind of situation. So definitely. Lan, where do we find you? My author site is Lan, L-A-N-P-H-A-N dot C-O. Go to dot C-O because if you go to dot com, you're going to go to some Vietnamese car automobile site. Um, My company's website is Community of Seven. You could also find me. I mainly post on LinkedIn. So you could just look for me, Land Fan. I am the most popular Land Fans. There's so many of us on LinkedIn. (laughs) And I'm also on Instagram at LandFanC7. Amazing. Closing remarks as we start to wrap up. My book is out April 2nd. You could also pre-order now. I think it will change your life as much as it has changed mine. So I hope you pick it up. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Amy. So glad I was able to talk to you today.